Career Day Live is a Stop Clowning Around production. You can learn how Stop Clowning Around helps people succeed in life and career by mastering the art of connection and relationships by visiting StopClowningAround.com or Facebook.com forward slash StopClowningAround. It seems like we are all ruled by technology. Regardless of the technology we use most, there are brilliant software engineers behind the operation of all of it. Chris Spindler, a senior software engineer with a very cool company, holds one of the coolest jobs ever. I will let him share more about that. But he enlightens us on the countless number of opportunities for skilled software engineers. Chris, I want to thank you for joining us and sharing a little bit about your life and your career. Let's start like we always do by sharing what is your role and how did you get there? I'm a software engineer, senior software engineer at the Boeing Company, and I work in the Virtual Warfare Center. Uh, we focus on modeling and simulation. Uh, we, we kind of make one of the world's most complex video games where we simulate all kinds of stuff for our customers and they see what they need to get in the next generation of whatever aircraft or anything else that they might be looking for. Uh, so that's my role and how I got into it. Well, I actually got my start pretty young. Uh, my, my parents bought me a computer uh, when I was a kid. It was a TI-99-4A uh, computer. It had all of 16 colors. It was really advanced for the time. And uh, my dad started typing in, uh, he would order, he got a subscription to a magazine that would show you different uh, program listings that you could type in the commands and then save them onto audio cassettes, which probably almost nobody knows about anymore. Um, and you could basically take these listings that somebody else wrote up and you could make that computer play a game with you. Uh, so he started by doing all of that typing and, uh, cause I was real little when he got it for me. But after a while, I started thinking it'd be pretty fun to make my own games on that thing. So I, I started learning how to do it. And from then on, I was kind of hooked on writing software. It was just a lot of fun, sometimes for games, sometimes for other stuff. But uh, that's kind of how I got started. And so I ended up going to college, getting a degree and getting a job with Boeing and have been there ever since. Did you really know that you could get a degree that would let you basically play video games as a profession? I, you know, When I was young, I didn't. I had no idea. You know, I just thought it would be fun to make games. It was a neat hobby. And a lot, at, at that time, most people who were writing programs on their home computers were hobbyists. So it was just something cool for me to do. Uh, it wasn't until I got into, you know, high school that I really started thinking about, you know, I could actually do this all the time. And even at that, when I, when I went to school, I wasn't expecting to go into something as cool as the VWC, the Virtual Warfare Center. But I just knew this was something I knew how to do. It was kind of cool. And it, it's always neat when you can create something that then does something back for you. It's kind of like creating a nice work of art, some, something like that, where, uh, you know, based on what instructions I give the computer, it responds and does what I told it to. 
And so that was very fulfilling. So yeah, I found uh, that that was an opportunity available to me and I took it and it was a, it's been a lot of fun. So Chris, I'm just thinking back and imagining you as a child and uh, looking at this computer and figuring it out, yet having the opportunity to play the wide variety of video games that really started coming out in the day that you and I were children, some uh, some great advancements for the time. Would you consider yourself more of a game player at that time or a game creator? Which one had the greater passion? Well, I, to tell you the truth, I'm really not that good at playing video games. My hand-eye coordination isn't the greatest thing in the world. Like, I, I couldn't go online and play any of those first-person shooters or other kind of games where you have to have really quick reflexes because I don't have them. Uh, so I quickly learned that it was a lot more fun for me to make something on the computer, whether it was, uh, oh, shoot, uh, I think the first program I remember writing on a computer at all, once my parents got me a, a PC later on, and I wrote my first uh, PC program, it actually showed you a bunch of math facts, and you could show angles and things by typing in like the angles. That's how nerdy I was. I was heavy into math. And so I made a little game out of being able to set the angles and stuff. So um, I think I've always been more about creating software than playing video games. You know, I've got a lot of games I love. I'm definitely more on the, it's more fun to make the thing than play the thing. And then I guess the the final question regarding your childhood, unless you give me another good uh question to ask with your answer um was this something that you kind of kept as a hidden secret from your friends or is this something all your friends knew that you did on the side and maybe they wanted to come and even check out your creations uh, you know i i really didn't hide it much i think people knew i loved to do it and and so i i was kind of excited to show them the things that i'd made and and you know sometimes it was taking a listing that somebody else had written of a game and modifying it to just make it a little different make it a little better or whatever and i was always pretty proud of that stuff i mean i wasn't you know running around the neighborhood saying everybody come see the new cool game but i had a couple of really good friends that i was always like hey you want to see what i did last week on the computer and i would show them the thing and we'd have some fun with it and that that kind of continued on through high school where a couple of uh, uh, one really good friend of mine and i would spend a lot of evenings working on a bigger project that we were trying to create to uh, um basically build almost like a Microsoft Windows replacement just just to see if we could um and so it, as i you know got more into it i found other people who were into it and then it kind of grew into this mutual um exploration of what what's the art of the possible and i learned things from him and he learned things from me and we both got excited about it and i think that's really key in finding your passion it helps when you get you get to sync up with somebody else who shares that passion. That that's really really helpful. It certainly helped move me from the place where I was just tinkering around with games to where I figured, you know, this is something I could actually really do as a career. And I think that's great advice. We all have heard our parents say or someone say, "You kind of are who you hang out with." Uh, Jim Rome has a very special quote that says you are the average of the five people you hang out with most. And so what I hear you saying is as you started hanging out with people with this shared interest, it helped you grow 
your passion while you are around them. Oh, absolutely. Without a doubt. It's, it's certainly a lot more fun because then not only do you have an audience, but you have an audience who actually appreciates what it is that you're passionate about. Because for, for that buddy of mine, his name's Rob, he could understand how much work I had put into this new thing that I had done. Even if the visual display on the computer wasn't all that sophisticated or all that fancy, he understood the work that went into making whatever enhancement I made. So finding people who share that passion with you to spur you on definitely helps. And it's, it certainly even helps today because the stuff I'm doing right now, I'm on a really cool team with a lot of people who are really interested in this particular topic and even this particular domain because software engineering can, can go so many different directions. I'm on a team where we're all working together toward a common goal and we appreciate our talents and we like to not show off it's not about proving that you're better than they are, but we like it when other people recognize the value of what we've done. That's always, I think, uh, important. You you want to feel like you've done something useful. And so finding other people that share the passion helps you get that feedback that what you're doing is useful or cool or what, or fun if you're going the games route. So yeah, people you hang out with have a big impact on where your passions will grow. You know, I'm looking ahead a little bit. You mentioned that you did not really foresee yourself working at the VWC uh, when you were in high school and maybe even through college. But it sounds like you were one of the few who really did have a good idea of what you wanted to do as a profession in your younger years. Can you just briefly walk us through the the college experience? I, I I'm assuming you went with a um, targeted approach of exactly what you wanted to do and what you wanted to come out with? Yeah, I, you know, I really did. You know, it's funny you should say that, though. I mean, I've always felt uh, that I, I do have another calling where I'm called to to minister. And so I, I serve at my local church in a lot of different ways. And uh, for quite a while, I debated whether or not to go to Bible college or to go for computer science. And And to be honest, uh, the decision boiled down to, uh, because of my academic, you know, achievements and accomplishments, I was able to get uh, better scholarships to go to a state school for uh, computer science as my my major uh, than I was able to get because a lot of the the Bible schools don't quite offer as good a scholarships and and uh, you know i really debated going both of those paths with my family and i wasn't sure which way to go cuz i felt a calling to go one way and a passion and an excitement about doing the computer science they both were something i was very keenly interested in um but once i made the decision i you know i i talked it over with my dad and he said look maybe maybe you're headed down the path you are so that someday you can serve in ministry and your career in computer science can pay for you. So you could have an opportunity to minister in a church that can't afford a pastor. Uh, there, there may be a reason why you've been given this skill in computer science and this passion for it. So don't be afraid to explore it and don't be afraid to find other ways to do the ministry goals that I had. So I, I really did have a, a decision to make in high school. And it really came down to 
as I started to look at colleges and see what opportunities were out there for me, um, I found, uh, it, it might sound a little trite, that I found that the doors were open for going for computer science, whereas they weren't quite as open for going the other direction. But I really was interested in doing both, and I still have now found ways to use my other skills and even my computer skills in ministry. That Again, that's one of the cool things about software is there are people writing software in every imaginable field you can think of, whether it's the VWC, computer gaming, churches, website development, medicine. It's just all over the place. But yeah, for me, the opportunities for computer science were just too obvious to pass up. So I went in my freshman year of college knowing what I wanted my major to be, what, you know, what classes I wanted to take. I even, you know, a couple of years before that had planned which high school classes I was going to take to help me, uh, you know, get college credit a little earlier so that I could say not have to take calculus one or, you know, get, get to English two instead of English one my freshman year. So yeah, I, I had some idea what I wanted and I started making a plan pretty early. Uh, even though it was really a couple of different plans I had in mind, uh, once I picked a direction, I was uh, forging ahead as quickly as I could. Well, that's awesome. How, you know, you, you graduated, I'm assuming you made it right into uh, being hired at Boeing, and there's probably a little process of getting where you're at today. We're going to skip that part for now. I would like to fast forward to where you are today and what you do, and can you just share what your job looks like on a day-to-day role? It sounds like you enjoy it. You work with a really great team of people, but what does the day-to-day really look like? Well, you know, my day-to-day role as a software engineer is to, to come in and look at the capabilities that our customer has asked our simulation to, to bring. They, they want to simulate this new aircraft. And so I need to talk with them and get requirements from them and find out how they want it to perform, how fast is it, all these other characteristics of that platform or whatever system I'm simulating that day. And then I sit down and I open up a code editor and I start typing in um, mostly C++ is the language we use. Uh, and, you know, all computer languages have their own quirks. And so you have to you, you kind of have to know how to write code in that language. Um, but I sit down at the code editor and I, you know, I start to develop the uh, the additional capabilities in our simulation. I uh, get them up and running, and then I run some tests on it, and I, I try it out, and I fire up an application that shows me a globe, and it's like, if it's an aircraft, it'll fly around, and I'll give it commands, and we'll see if it goes as fast, turns as quick, or does whatever it's supposed to do, do some testing on it, prove that I've added the capability, and then I repeat the whole process again, find out the next thing they want added to our sim, write some code, test the code, and move on. Uh, we do have regular, you know, tag up meetings a couple times a week to make sure everybody's still on pace and getting the stuff done that they need done for our next event. Uh, part of my job is uh, every few months we bring out uh, actual operators, pilots from the military, and they come for a week and they sit down and they uh, play in our simulated world. And so we're, you know, they've, they've got an experiment that they want to do and they want to look at 
What if we tried this against the bad guys? And what if we tried that? Which one's better? So we have to be ready to build scenarios and simulations that let them kind of experiment. And so they'll tell us, you know, a a few months ahead of time, well, these are the things we think we're going to want to experiment in the next event. So you guys start building. And so every day I come in, write code, test code, repeat. And it's a lot of fun. And it's especially fun when you get to see them learning from what you've done when they can try different things and say, Hey, this strategy worked better than that one. Uh, that's, that's really for us, the best feedback when they go, Hey, we just learned something about the way we were used. The way we were used to doing things no longer works. And your simulation showed that to us. And so that's, that's what we do. I'm sitting here thinking about the person listening right now, or the audience is listening to this episode and, trying to wrap their head around what one of your simulations really looks like. And I think the closest thing I can pull up in my mind is uh, at the time of this recording, I know there's a new Call of Duty game that's been released and younger people enjoy playing that and other games similar to that. Is there a way that you can kind of compare, contrast what a simulation you put together is like versus the video game. I guess I'm asking, are they, are they alike? Are they different? And uh, I, I know you may have some limitations on what you can even say, but I'm, I'm just trying to create a picture in my own head of what these simulations really might look like. Yeah. Well, you know, there are some similarities. There are also some differences and I'll try to give you the, the real quick rundown, you know, the, the call of duties, which are great games, by the way, and I'm terrible at them. Are, are very much focused on an individual, like you, you take over an individual avatar in the game. You are a person running around on the ground and shooting stuff. Um, in our simulations, we take a much bigger picture look at that. I mean, we're, we're talking about looking at an entire, um, battle, if you will. You could, you could, if you wanted to think of it like, uh, Oh, the battle from Midway or something in World War II. You're zooming way out. You're looking at a globe or, you know, a region of the globe that's hundreds of miles long. And you've got all kinds of aircraft and ships and whatever else you've got out there. And they're pretty small when you get zoomed out that far. But we're simulating those. And so the God's eye view is a look at a, a region of the globe with a bunch of little airplanes and ships moving around. And and of course, weapons that you, you're playing with too. Um, but then, you know, in another room, you know, one of the other rooms in our building will actually have pilots who are sitting in, in tubs that look like a, you know, a stripped down version of a cockpit. And they will be jumping into one of those vehicles in our simulation and controlling it. And so we write a simulation that can control those platforms, the, the aircraft, the ships, whatever when there isn't a pilot in them. So they're reasonably, um, they're, they're somewhat close to what a pilot might actually do. And then the actual pilots get to pick which one they want to jump into because there's something interesting going on in that region of the fight. And when they jump in, there are visualizations in front of them that look much more like a flight simulator that you might've played like Microsoft flight simulator, or one of the Jane simulations where they've got the out the window view and they can see the sky and the clouds and other aircraft if they're close enough. Um, so it, it kind of goes from that global view all the way down to, it looks like you're sitting in a cockpit. Uh, and we, we handle 
that whole range. But yeah, our, our simulations are a lot bigger in scope than say a Call of Duty game. But it also means that we have to, we have to play, you know, some effects and say, well, we're not going to model every little detail about the aircraft. We're going to give some general characteristics and that'll be good enough because at that high a level and that zoomed out a level, it doesn't have to be super perfect. If it turns about fast enough, flies straight and level about fast enough, you know, has the range that you expect it to, that's good enough. So it's, uh, it's kind of an interesting mix of a very zoomed out dad's eye view of the world combined with when they jump in, it needs to look pretty realistic. Chris, I got to tell you, you have officially jumped to the person who has the coolest job ever in my book. Now, with that said, I got to tell you, I could not do your job for my for my life. I mean, if I had to, I really have no desire to code. I've tried to build a few websites and play with a little code in there. And honestly, I hate it. So I couldn't do your job, but it really does sound cool. It, it is a cool job. I appreciate that. And and let's be honest. Okay, the final product sounds really awesome. There are days when I'm sitting there writing code and wondering, why isn't this running right? Why isn't it doing what I told it to do that my job also drives me nuts? It, it's, it's like any other job. There are going to be good parts and bad parts. Uh, it does take a particular mindset, I think, to really enjoy uh, being a software engineer, attention to detail, ability to decompose problems, attention to detail, um, you know, a, a willingness to break things down and try new things, uh, attention to detail. Did I mention attention to detail? I, I don't know if you uh, did, but it sounds like that might be really important. Because because you forget, like literally you forget a semicolon. And your computer will, you, you'll try to compile your program and say, okay, build this thing. I just gave you new instruction. It'll say, I don't know what you're talking about because wow. you forgot a semicolon a hundred lines away. It, it can be very, very picky. Um, it is getting easier with some cool languages like Python and Ruby out there. So if you're interested in learning more about what it is to write software, uh, anybody who's listening, go grab the Python language or the Ruby language. They're a lot easier to work with than some of the languages we've had to deal with in the past. Um, but yeah, it does take a particular kind of person to, to find software engineering to be fun. I just happen to be one of them, and uh, I was blessed enough to end up in a really cool job. So. Well, I, you know, and I really appreciate you going through that because often we think of a job as being, wow, that sounds really cool, and we don't see the negatives. And what I'm really gathering is a lot of your days are sitting behind a screen typing in code, which probably is, well, to me it would be boring. And the detail and the frustration of possibly missing something and not catching it earlier. And I would, it sounds like that's probably the primary part of actually what you do and the satisfying part of watching the simulation come to life is not the, um, the highest percentage of your day to day. That is absolutely correct. Uh, it, it is a blast to see when it works and it's especially gratifying with the customers that we support when they learn how to do their jobs more effectively. And, you know, you, you may literally have saved someone's life because of a lesson they learned by running your SIM. That's a pretty awesome feeling. 
but that feeling comes like four times a year or something like that. <laughs> the rest of the time you're trying to simulate this new aircraft and you can't get good information from anybody about its real performance or whatever. So you've got to, you got to try making it up and then you show it to them and say, is this what you want? And they're like, no, it needs to go faster. And then you make it go faster and they say, no, it needs to go slower. That was too fast. And so there's a lot of trying to get requirements and then figuring out how to fit this new capability into the existing code because our simulation is big. There's a lot of code there and you got to find the right spot to put it in so that you don't cause any problems for anything else. So, uh, that attention to detail piece that keeps coming up in my conversation is um, is something that can sometimes get on your nerves. Uh, but for a software engineer who likes to solve problems, because that's what I really like to do, uh, at, at least in that aspect of my job, I love trying to solve a problem. When you finally solve the problem, there is this big rush of accomplishment, like I did it, I got it working, and that's awesome. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of work. There, there is a reason they call it work. There, there is effort to be expended and sometimes it's going to be frustrating, but what you want to find is your passion so that when you finally push through and get the result, whether it's a work of art, a piece of software or whatever other career you're considering, you want to find the thing that makes you satisfied when you finish the job. And when you find that, you have a lot of fun at work. Chris, you know, the the mental picture that came up in my mind when you were just going through that was um, the idea of sports. So I've, I've coached some youth basketball o- over the years now with my own children. And what I learned is these young people really don't like practice, but it's the practice <laughs> – that ultimately gets you to where you can actually have a successful game. And you spend more time in practice than you ever spend playing games. But the reward is ultimately winning that game. But you never would have won that game if you didn't put in the time at practice. And and is that maybe a decent mental picture of your job is most of your time is really spent at practice. And then you finally get to play a game every now and then. Absolutely. That is that is precisely what we do. We want the most boring week of our year to be that event when everybody's in town and the pilots are flying in their tubs. We want nothing to go on with the software so much so that we're kind of bored because it's all working smoothly. And we are scrambling on the weeks leading up to that event to do everything we can to make that week as smooth as possible and and you know for an athlete who is learning how to you know execute a full court press that that there's a drill there there's a lot of drill there and when you finally get it right and you're in the game and it just comes naturally and you swipe the ball because your full court press was executed perfectly that's the victory but by that point you've worked on it so much that it just comes naturally but it, it doesn't get there without the drill. It just doesn't. And it's the same way with software engineering. And I think most work, you, you only get good at it when you work at it. And once you get good at it, then you can move on and get better at other parts of it. You know, as a coach, that there's always something more to learn. There's always more technique to refine. You're never done 
getting better unless you choose to be, unless you give up and you settle for less than your best. You know, Chris, I'm sitting here thinking a little bit about this conversation, and it has been a lot of fun, and I appreciate the the time and that you're giving us on this. It does make me look or, or pull back just a little bit and say we've spent so much time understanding, you know, your world that you're in, but can we look back? Uh, take a step back a little bit and look at it bigger picture of software engineering in general. I'm sure it's very, very much the same when it comes to writing a program, uh, the, the, the detail, the, the, the focus and, and the pain of creation. But can you give some ideas of other areas that you know that software engineers are used and some of the things they do create outside of what you are currently working in? Oh, oh my goodness. Uh, there's, there's almost no limit. Just about every, every career out there, every job out there these days is affected by software engineering at some level. Right now, uh, there are tons of people devoting lots of energy into data analytics. And that data analytics is looking at large amounts of information and sifting through it to find patterns that are useful. And that's valuable in medical world, in the business world, in just about every avenue, in our own world, in, in designing and engineering, data analytics is important. But um, the web development, we would, we would not have the internet that we have today if it weren't for software engineers who are writing those web pages. And yeah, that code that you tinkered with that one time and you hated, there's a software engineer somewhere who's helped uh, put that together. You know, there's this um, biology, chemistry, all of the sciences use software these days. You, you, you really, whatever field you go into, if it's at all technical um, whatsoever, you will have a, a leg up, an advantage if you learn how to write a little code even if it's in something like Python, which some people talk about as a toy language, but it's not. There are major websites that run their entire infrastructure using that language, and that's a language you can go download and learn now. There, there's just, uh, there is no limit to how many different areas of life software is impacting right now. Just There's just no limit. In every business uh, journal I read, I see AI or artificial intelligence coming up quite a bit as one of the hottest topics and one of the areas everyone is most excited about. And I know a lot of that actually still delves into some of the data analytics, but I would assume that all that's being driven by software engineers as well. Oh, absolutely. Artificial intelligence is huge. And some of uh, the artificial intelligence coupled with the data analytics as well just to help look for patterns and you want to train your your programs to look for useful bits of information uh but yeah ai we use artificial intelligence where we are but it's 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 everywhere uh helping to interpret uh medical scans and look for relevant data in in radio signals there's so much stuff that uses artificial intelligence these days even even the stuff we're doing has some simple ai and it, we we don't stick to it too complicated because we bring in actual pilots to do most of the real intelligence stuff. But we do a little AI just to have some things that can fly around on their own without, you know, running into things. So 
Uh, yeah, artificial intelligence and data analytics are huge. Cybersecurity, which is a big growing field right now, how to protect whatever industry you're in from attacks from hackers. Uh, so cybersecurity is a, a rapidly growing field of software engineering, and it's pretty cool, too. There's some pretty neat stuff that's going on there. But uh, you can go all the way to the banking industry, to Wall Street, to what we do in the VWC, to city planning. I mean, somebody out there wrote Microsoft Excel and Microsoft Word and and all those programs that you use on your computers every day. And, and well, my goodness. All the uh, smart home devices and the uh, the Internet of Things that people are talking about where you can talk to your toaster. The fact is, there's software written to run on that toaster. And so they're really, you know, the fun thing about it is you can find another passion outside of just writing code and get involved in that. And that's kind of what I did with the VWC. I've always been fascinated with airplanes and that kind of stuff. And so I took my software engineering passion, coupled it with my interest in that kind of stuff and made a pretty decent career out of it. And you can do that too. Find software engineering interesting, find a field that needs a software engineer that you care about that field and go for it. I've still got a lot of projects I'm thinking about ministry-wise that I might do. Um, there's just so many options. You can do software in so many different ways, including all the way back to maybe you're going to be the next uh, Call of Duty programmer. That's that somebody's going to need to do it. And if that's your passion, go for it. So one of the questions I like to ask a lot, and I'm not, I'm going to skip the question because it sounds like you've already answered it. I, a lot of times we'll ask, you know, what's the outlook of this type of position? Is it growth? Is it neutral? Do we see it shrinking? But as you just answered right there, to me, it sounds like a software engineer pretty much, if if they're decent at what they do, can pretty much work anywhere and do about anything they would like because there are so many options and opportunities that abound. Absolutely. You, you really, you really can't, there's no, uh, somewhere I was seeing some surveys of top salaries for different fields and some variation of software engineering, cybersecurity, AI, data analytics. I mean, they were seven of the top 10 or something like that. There, there's just, so much room for more software engineering uh, and so many different fields that it's in. And that's why, you know, it's one of those things too. You can go get a degree in something else. Like a bunch of the people I work with were not software engineers. Some of them are, they, but some of them are say aeronautical engineers and they learned how to program while they were at school. They took a couple of semesters of computer science and, and they learned how to write some code and then they got hired into our group and so they bring the domain knowledge because I didn't really know how lift and drag and thrust and all those things affected an aircraft because I didn't take those classes in college. I stuck with the hardcore math and computer science stuff. They can tell me the equations and they can write enough code to get it started. And then I can come back in and maybe help them make it run faster, make it be more efficient, do whatever, you know, make improvements to it. Um, so you don't have to go strictly for computer science in college, but if you can take a class or two in computer programming, you can turn that into an advantage in whatever field you really do want to go into. All right, Chris, you've brought two questions to mind. The first one we have to hit just because it's a requirement of this show and I want to give everybody full 
picture of what they're dealing with. You talked about the article and kind of the pay of software engineers out there. Can you give us a range? And I know it's always hard to bullseye and say this is what one will be paid. But based on your knowledge of the industry, what can a good software engineer expect to make? And and I, you know what, I'm even going to step in for you. I think in your world, it's even harder because it's probably going to be different in Silicon Valley than it is in the the Midwest or it is in uh, even the Southeast. But best you can, can you try to define that a little bit for someone who's listening and trying to make a decision? I mean, I'll tell you this. I can I can give you a ballparkish idea of what a, a big, are you looking for entry level? Are you looking for like a first, you know, Let, just out of college? Let's kind of talk or, both, or, you know, entry level. And then, you know, what an experienced person uh, can actually get up to if they really want to pursue it hard. I mean, I mean here in the Midwest, it's, it's not hard to find jobs for entry level computer software, computer science folks, uh, you know, for fifty, sixty thousand dollars $60,000 a year. Um, and, and you can probably get more. It's been a little while since I've been that guy, so it's probably shifted some. Um, but it, I mean, once you've been around for a while and you've got some years of experience in, it's really not unreasonable to get to, you know, six figures pretty easily. One, you know, 100,000, 125, 150,000 here in the Midwest where, you know, that'll buy you quite a bit in, in the Midwest. It's not... <laughs> funny thing is we had somebody from our group who uh, left and went to Google. And so they went out to California and basically they got a sizable bump in their salary, but the cost of living increase meant they had about as much spending money as they had when they were here. They're still, they're making more money, but it's more expensive to live out there too. But you can, you can earn a good living if you're good at what you do, you can go get certifications once you've got your degree. And once you get into the work field that can boost your earning potential quite easily, but it's, it's very reasonable to think an an entry level computer science job in, in our region is going to get you 50, $60,000 pretty quickly. Um, And then it, it grows pretty well. Once you, once you get some years of experience and they know you can handle it, uh, it's it's not hard to get to the hundred thousand mark, hundred twenty five, some one hundred and fifty in this region. Um, it, it's it's it you can get well paid if you're good at your job. And uh, that, that's probably said about any job, but uh, I you've given us a good idea on uh, this, and it, it sounds like a very lucrative field to be a part of. So if we have a younger person listening to this show right now and. Maybe they just finished a college degree. Maybe they're getting ready to go for a degree. Maybe there's someone in transition who just, they've been down the wrong path. And this sounds exciting to them and they would like to change. I want to ask your opinion on something I've been reading and hearing a lot about lately. And I'm assuming you probably have at least a basic knowledge of how they work. I've been hearing a lot about these programming boot camps where some organizations are now putting together a three, four, six-month program that's that's very intensive for the time, but yet a short period of time, to get people to a level that they could basically take these entry-level roles. What are your feelings on those? Uh, I actually don't have a problem with them. I, I think you, you want to be careful that you're going to get good value. Uh, you know, it can be tough to know whether 
this is some guy teaching out of his basement who doesn't really know what he's talking about or whether or not it's legit. Um, that can be a little challenging sometimes, but you know, honestly, just like the, the engineers that I work with who are actually trained in aerospace and aeronautical engineering, they only took a couple of semesters of programming classes and then they have taught themselves. It, it is a field that you can get into if you're willing to do a little bit of legwork. So if you, if you put your mind to it, and you're serious about a programming boot camp like that, and you have some idea that it's a, a relevant technology. Uh, you know, like I said, if you're if you're looking at web development or Python or Java or or one of the languages that are currently useful, um, it, it really isn't a bad idea. You can learn to be good at this, and it doesn't take that long to get enough under your belt that you can go and say, "Look, I was actually trained in this other industry, but I've." learned these computer languages you can throw that on your resume and you can say hey i i think i can i can work software engineering i i've taught myself we probably um in, especially in the group that i am currently in we have more engineers trained in a different field who have learned software than we have pure software engineers who took computer science classes at school um so uh, as long as you don't get hoodwinked into spending a bunch of money on outdated technology lessons for these boot camps, uh, I think that you can learn a lot and you can get a foothold into a very good industry. Um, so I, I think there's some merit to them. Just just be mindful. Take a look at how many other people have, have uh, taken those classes, what testimonials, if they offer people you can contact and say okay how was your experience with it uh you might consider it i mean the crazy thing about it is there's so much information out there now about learning how to write software that you may not need a programming boot camp but you might need to put in some time yourself pick a language like python uh, i i highly recommend it because it's easy to learn and lots of people are using it these days Pick a language like Python, go grab a couple of books uh, from the library or from the local bookstore, or just go online. There are tutorials everywhere for this stuff and uh, start tinkering. And, and that's, you know, that might be a better first step than a boot camp because if you start to tinker and you find that you hate remembering your, your spacing and your semicolons and all the other things you need, maybe this isn't the right field for you. You haven't spent money to go to a boot camp for it. Yeah, absolutely. But it saves it, a little bit. If it if it seems interesting, you, you try it a little bit yourself. I mean, those kinds of tools are free. You can go download Python right now and start playing with it at home. If it seems like fun when you go through the tutorial, consider taking a local community college class or something or go, go to the boot camp or just go get a couple more books and start thinking up some cool game you want to try to make. And if you start to really like that, go further with it. Chris, uh, I'm always watching the clock, unfortunately, and we definitely are coming to a point where we got to close this up. You kind of did this in the middle of the episode, but I really like to end it on this note. And if you could just summarize the perfect software engineer in two to three, four, you, you can come up with the number of qualities that make someone successful in this field. What would those qualities be? Uh, let's see. Definitely attention to detail. 
the ability to break down tasks into smaller chunks. Every computer program you write is essentially going to be breaking down into smaller chunks and doing a big thing. Our simulation is big, but I can go in and work on this little piece of it and, and, and just fix that one aspect. Oh, make, make this turn better. Uh, if you can take a simple uh, or a complex thing and break it down into smaller things, if you're good at making lists, if you have a good attention to detail, and if you like solving problems, um, I'm not just talking math word problems or anything like that, but if you just like to look at a problem and say, I want to figure out how to make that work. Something is wrong here. Let me figure out how to fix it. Let me take apart the situation and put it back together in a slightly different way to make it work. That kind of thinking skill will serve you well. You do, it helps to be strong in math. If you have good math skills, uh, it's useful. Uh, but problem solving, attention to detail, uh, a little bit of creativity never hurts. Uh, and yeah, and decomposing problems is, is really key. Awesome. Well, Chris, I want to thank you for your time today. You've really helped us understand what this role looks like. You've helped many either decide that, hey, I want to give this a try, or maybe you've helped some say, yeah, not for me. Either way, it's a win. I appreciate your time for that. I just uh, wish you the best and say thanks. Thanks, Scott. It's been a pleasure. This program is only possible with the support of guests that care about helping others find their calling. If you or someone you know would be interested in sharing, please email us at cdl at stopclowningaround.com.